Welcome to Speaking of Partnership, the show that brings you the personal partnership stories of experts from all walks of life so you can turn their stumbling blocks into stepping stones to healthy, long-lasting partnerships. I'm your host, Ken Bechtel. You know that the partnership game is not easy, but it's so worth it. If you're struggling with attracting or maintaining partnerships, go to speakingofpartnership.com right now, click on the big red button, and attend a free webinar on the secret to starting your ideal partnership today. Now, let me introduce you to today's guest. I'm so excited to bring you today's featured guest, Lisa Shield. Lisa, welcome to the show. Hi, Ken. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's great to have you here. And I want to kind of give a, a an introduction, if you will, to let our listeners know more about you, because they may or may not have heard of you, and we want to make sure they know what you're all about. So for those of you who haven't heard of Lisa before, or maybe aren't real familiar with her, she actually, 16 years ago, back when no one would admit to online dating, she posted her first profile. And two years after that, after over 100 first dates, she met and married the love of her life. And her success actually led her to become one of the first dating and relationship coaches in the country. Now, she's a very sought after relationship expert. She's been featured on Bravo's The Millionaire Matchmaker, uh, ABC News. She's been quoted in places like Cosmo, um, the Los Angeles Times. Her studies actually include a master's in spiritual psychology certification in life and relationship coaching from the Coaches Training Institute, and extensive training with Don Miguel Ruiz, the author of The Four Agreements. Now, she's got a book coming out soon called Naked Dating, and it shows singles how to use their emotional nakedness to attract and keep a life partner. Now, Lisa lives in Los Angeles, California, with her husband and best friend Benjamin and their two dogs, Milo and Owen. She also coaches clients all over the country, both in person and on the phone. Lisa, do me a favor. Let us know if there's anything that I missed in that intro. And then if you would give us kind of a glimpse into how you really got started in doing this incredible work, because clearly you found the love of your life, but everybody who finds the love of their life doesn't become a relationship coach. That's very true. (laughs) So... I was in, you know, I was, I kind of woke up when I was turning 40, just before my 40th birthday, and everybody had been saying to me that I need, you know, like, do your work and the right guy will find you. And I had become the best version of me that I had ever been, and I had less dates than I'd ever had in life, (laughs) you know, which is the sad truth. And so I looked around, my dating life was at a standstill, and I realized that I just needed to get out and start dating. I didn't like the idea. I felt, you know, I felt a little sorry for myself, but I also knew that it was too important and I had to just do it. So... I put myself online and I said, quitting isn't an option. Like I am going to see this thing through to the end, wherever it takes me. It's the most important journey of my life. And I did go out on almost a hundred first dates and I wound up meeting, um, 
the most, you know, I have to say, I mean, I am wildly, wildly in love with my husband. So, you know, I hope people can handle that (laughs) because I love this man. And he, um, you know, and we, I just, I found the love of my life. And so um, one day, Benjamin, who really saw me as a person, I think we'd only been dating three months. And he looked at me and he said, you should be a coach or a therapist. And I said, why do you say that? And he said, because personal transformation is your passion. And it was true. I was getting my master's degree in spiritual psychology at the time, and it was all I talked about. And so I wound up selling my business. I was importing from Vietnam and Mexico at the time, and I sold it to a former boyfriend. (laughs) And I became, I enrolled in life coaching training and that was the beginning. And I knew even when I enrolled that I was going to become a a dating coach. That was what I wanted to do. Wonderful. Yeah. That's, I I love that distinction that you made of, you know, he's like, well, it's your passion. And you're like, yeah, that's all I talked about because I, (laughs) I always find that's, that's how you can tell if something's your passion. Like you can't stop talking about it. Yeah. He said to me, he said, that, you know, I said, how do you know? And he said, well, he said, you know, you may have been passionate about importing at one time, but that's not there anymore. Like, this is really what you light up around. So, and he was right. He yeah. was, he really got it. And I can't even imagine doing anything else now. Yeah, that's great. That's awesome. Well, what I want to ask you, because obviously, like you said, you're one of the first people in this area doing relationship and and dating coaching and so on. And I'm wondering, do you have a guiding principle or a quote or a mantra, something that you you come back to when you feel like you're getting a little bit off the page regarding your your relationship? Um, I think my favorite quote of all time is Rumi, and it's out beyond right doing and wrongdoing is a field. I'll meet you there. So for me, that is the guiding principle in my life is to be in relationship and to let go of that need to be right. And when I do that and when I live from that, I get to play in Rumi's field. You know, there's just like I can let go of things. I own my part very quickly and I clean up, you know, if something does go wrong, I can clean up my side very fast. And because of that, I think my husband and I just have this huge playground, this huge field where we can just play and be ourselves because we don't hold on to things. Yeah, that's that's huge. It's the, you know, proverbial baggage, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. No, I love that. And I, I love how you describe that because it's it's one of those things where if we can, instead of trying to be right, just let it be like, okay, well, that's how you think, or that's how I think. And it's not a right or wrong kind of thing. It changes the entire dynamic. Mm -hmm. And it's even, it's even for me, Ken, where it's about saying, wow, okay, you don't see it. Like if my husband comes to me and he has something that he, you know, that he wants to talk to me about or something I did that he, you know, wants to discuss with me, I mean, I'm able now to just say, wow, like, tell me what's, you know, even if I, didn't feel like I did anything wrong, I can very easily just say, 
hey, tell me what's up. Like, what? why are you upset? Or, you know, how can we fix this? Instead of having to explain my perspective or tell him why I did what I did. He knows I didn't mean to hurt him. He knows I love him. You know, so if there was a misunderstanding or I did something that he needs to check in with me about, it's really this ability to just, you know, let it go, like, to be able to very quickly say, okay, like, tell me what your perception of this is. I don't even need to explain my perception most of the time anymore. Nice. Yeah. And for everybody listening, I just want you to think about what would your life be like if you got back all the energy that you're currently putting into explaining yourself? Pretty huge chunk of our... Our energy expenditure is justifying, rationalizing, defending, being right. Mm -hmm. What if you took that back? What could you do with your life? Pretty huge. Yeah, and I mean that was a huge thing for me, Ken. Like I think one of the hard, one of the biggest reasons why I feel men weren't able to get close to me was because for so much of my life I was extremely defensive. And I couldn't, you know, you, you can't get close to a defensive person. And so that was a big piece of what I had to let go in order to really start to get into a healthy relationship and really be vulnerable. You can't be defensive and vulnerable at the same time. No, they kind of go opposite directions. You're right. <laughs> it does not work. <laughs> exactly. No, that's that's such a great insight. And yeah. You know what would be great? Our, our listeners love when our, our guests are, are willing to share stories about their personal experiences. And what I'd love to ask you to do right now is share with us a story, Lisa, of a time in your life when you kind of tripped up in your relationship or your partnership. And let us know, you know, what was going on? What were you doing? What did you trip on? And then what did you learn from that experience that has helped you move forward? Wow. I'm trying to, you know, I was thinking about a specific thing. I mean, I can tell you that one of the biggest things I tripped up on was that I married a man who, who turned out to be a pathological liar. And I think for a long time where I tripped up was that I just saw what I wanted to see and heard what I wanted to hear. And I was so afraid for the relationship to end that I stayed in it and I just made excuses for things that were not right. And so I tripped myself up because, um, you know, it was, I was in denial and I was, I didn't want to leave him. And so I spent 13 years in that relationship. Um, you know, you asked me what I learned. I, I learned that, you know, I learned a lot and I think, a lot of your listeners are going to get this. I really learned about pathology. Like, it's a tough, tough, tough thing to wrap your brain around that somebody could be pathological and have a problem that's um, so deeply ingrained in their, you know, in their psyche and their wiring that they're hardwired that way. And that no matter what you try to say or do, you're not going to change them or get them to see the error of their ways. So I, it, it was really a, a hard lesson and a great lesson to be able to understand that there are people that really, you know, that are who they are and that they 
aren't dealing with a healthy paradigm. That's why they have the DSM. That's the book, you know, where all the pathologies are listed that psychologists use and therapists use. And I have a kind of a sixth sense now that when I can, you know, when I come across these people, I know immediately just to get out of their way. <laughs> That's a good, good idea. <laughs> uh -huh. you know, I, I love what you said there, though, because when you're saying, you know, you were you were just like denying what was really going on. You were convincing yourself it was it was something else and basically making excuses for his behavior. And when we do that, I mean, it's so common. We all do it because what we're doing is we want them to be what they're not. And we don't want to admit that they're not what we want them to be. And so we yeah. decide, well, no, 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 that, that's really OK. Or, or we dismiss what we need in the relationship to make it okay that however they're treating us, which doesn't serve us, is actually all right. And it's a way that we, we don't honor ourselves. Well, it also fed into my own insecurities about who I am. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that I saw, Ken, is that I had, I was able to focus on him and not have to focus on myself. And I had a lot of stuff that was going on that I really needed to look at, but it was easy, you know, water seeks its own level. Or another great quote that I love is Wayne Dyer says, we don't attract what we want, we attract who we are. So I know that there were, th there were you know, areas in my own life that I didn't want to face, that where I wasn't showing up. And so I picked a partner who also wasn't showing up in the world. And it allowed me not to have to really um, succeed, look at myself and look at why I wasn't being successful. At the time, I was a photographer. My ex-husband and I were living in Italy, in Milan. And it sounds like a, it sounds like that would be so exciting, mm -hmm. but it's not exciting when you're living with a sociopath, you know, like a pathological liar who, you know, where the rent hasn't been paid in six months and your lights are going to be turned off. And, you know, it was miserable. And I, I was too afraid. And I knew some part of me knew that if I left him, it, I couldn't keep making it about him. I was going to have to then put the spotlight on Lisa and start to look at myself. And I had a lot of growing up to do and a lot of maturing. It's why I hung out in that, you know, I hid out in that relationship for 13 years. Yes. And thank you for sharing that because that's so huge. We can make the project of our partner the distraction <laughs> from the project of ourselves. And so we go, oh, no, 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 I'm working on them and they need help and so on and so forth. And then it's like, I, and I, you made me think of um, about, geez, when was it? 18 years ago, I was engaged to a woman and her mother was always doing development work and going to personal development stuff. But I could tell she was never applying any of it. So she's like collecting the books, but not actually doing anything with it. And she had two daughters, the, the Emily, the woman I was engaged to, and, and a younger daughter, Bonnie. And it was about the time that, that Bonnie was ready to leave the house. And so, you know, it was going to be that empty nest thing. And it was unbelievable, Lisa, when I ran into her, ran into the mom after Bonnie had moved out. So the kids were her distraction. Mm -hmm. And once they left, 
it was like she aged 20 years. Like her world of what she'd been hiding from and acting like she was doing something on for the last 25 years was now that distraction was gone and all that weight that she'd been denying was there came back on her. I, I almost didn't recognize her. Wow. Because she'd just been avoiding it by looking like she was doing the work and the kids were the main thing. And then all of a sudden that was gone. It was like, whoosh. And it was amazing, but it was clear what had happened was that was her distraction. That was her way of avoiding the work she really needed to do for herself. Yeah, I, I so get it. Yeah. <laughs> I've been there and, you know, it's crazy, but you can't, you know, you're not ready. Like, I don't know if she ever looked at it. For me, this was, you know, I'll talk about some of this later, you know, later on with some of the other questions, but looking at that and finally taking ownership of it and being willing to just do me, you know, and, and be alone and figure myself out was the key to everything. Yeah. And, you know, I just, I have a life today that I could never have imagined. In fact, my, my husband's assistant, we were going over your questions and my husband's assistant said, what would have happened if you'd never left your ex-husband? Can you imagine? I was like, oh, God, no. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, in the moment, it seems terrifying to move down that path. But the, the end result, you're like, oh, my gosh, what if I had never done that? Oh, and nobody's going to do it for you. You know, like there's a, you know, it's just like you got to hit a bottom and nobody's going to do it for you. I mean, for me, it was our rent was it hadn't been paid in six months. And our phone, you know, I think our, our phone was going to be turned off. And, you know, I just I wasn't raised that way. I didn't have to live like that. And I realized that I had let my life get to a place that, you know, I didn't even recognize myself. So, you know, but the beautiful thing is that I got out of it and I, you know, I started to do, like you, a lot of spiritual work and mm -hmm. really just, um, you know, I realized that the spiritual world, like every time I was looking for answers, those were the answers that really made sense to me. Like those were the keys. And so I just started to follow that path. We were talking before we got on the call and you had said that you discovered this very early. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I really discovered, I have to share, this is so funny, but when I was a kid, I discovered, um, I was living in St. Louis, Missouri, that's where I grew up, and I discovered Eastern mysticism through a Yes album, like yeah, the group oh. Yes. <laughs> my, my, I was asked, you know, a friend and I were trying to interpret the lyrics and we were like, well, this is Hinduism. And, you know, in my world, nobody talked about this kind of stuff. And I became fascinated. And I had my grandmother take me to the ashram in St. Louis and drop me off for the day. I was 15 years old, wow. uh, all by myself. And they had the, they didn't have a Swami, but they had recordings of the Swami and they had a podium and a picture of him. And then they'd play the recordings and everybody would sit in the audience and listen. And then afterward we would eat rice pudding. <laughs> so, oh, that's so great. That was my introduction to Eastern mysticism or spirituality. And then there was a certain point where 
I realized that I was so weird and so different than other people and like my peers and that nobody else, I was starting to get a little out there and that nobody could really relate to me. So I intentionally said to myself, you've got to put this aside. Like you can't go down this path or you're going to get so far out there that you're not going to be able to relate to anybody. And so I really let it go for quite a while. And then I picked it back up when I was in my mid twenties. Nice. Yeah. So anyway, that's awesome. <laughs> well, no, it's it's funny. I didn't know you were from St. Louis. I grew up in Central Illinois. We don't, oh, we don't, did you really? Yeah, like two hours from where you grew up. Where um, did you grow up? Yeah, I grew up in a little town called Eureka, which is just outside of Peoria and Bloomington, Illinois. I, so, I've never been there, but I've heard the name many times. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> who knows what's going on out there? But you're right. Like if I didn't really get into spirituality until I was out in Colorado, but even now I go back home. I'm like, wow. If I was trying to do this here, I would be like. Who's the weirdo? Yeah. And like, that's okay. Was, it's my path. It's not everybody's. No, but like I was in St. Louis reading like Seth, like Seth Speaks. Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. I'm like 15 years old and I'm reading that like the nature of personal reality. <laughs> and I was reading autobiography of a yogi and like I couldn't talk to anybody. Yeah. Any Anyway. Yeah, nobody was going, can I borrow that when you're done? No. They, no. <laughs> they weren't doing that. I hear you 100%. Yeah. So anyway. Well, Lisa, let me ask you this, because we've been talking about, you know, you kind of have some, you know that you, you're not in the best spot, but we make up excuses. And I'm wondering, what's a time when you had a dumb moment where you were just like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I... I've been avoiding this or denying this for so long. And tell us what happened that, you know, when did you have the dumb moment? And then what was the, the building block that came from that dumb moment that you could apply to your partnerships going forward? So this is a great dumb moment. I think it really fits my story. I was, um, I was sitting, I had been doing a lot of introspection at one point because things were getting so bad with my ex and, um, I got to a point where I was pretty primed to leave him. You know, I was starting to see the writing on the wall. And so we were sitting and we were having a conversation, like, an, you know, a, a, an intense discussion about money. And I'm sitting there with him and I literally, it was like I separated from myself. And I, you know, my witness or that part of me, the observer was like, looming over to one side and I'm watching this conversation happening and I said to myself oh my god this is the same conversation we've been having for the last 13 years and I thought to myself if I had a tape recorder and I could press play and I had a recording from 13 years ago when we had met it would be the identical conversation and it was basically my husband trying to convince me that he was going to get money from his grandmother. <laughs> wow. and I thought to my, and I stopped in the middle of the conversation, like mid sentence. And I looked at him and I said, Oh my God, I can't do this anymore. I just said, I can't do this anymore. I've got to go. I said, I've got to go. I said, I, you know, you need to figure this out. And I said, and I can't do this for you and I'm leaving. And so literally like the next day I packed my bags and I booked a plane ticket back to the States and I left. Wow. Yeah. And you know, 
Thank you for sharing that, Lisa, because I think you made a very important distinction, which was you realized in that moment you've been having the same conversation for 13 years. And honestly, that's what makes that's what makes something a dumb moment, right? Where you're like, hello, I've known this forever. Why haven't I done anything? Yeah. But something makes you go, oops, now I'm really going to pay attention. Now I'm going to do something with it instead of keep making up excuses or justifications or stories around it. Just go, no, it doesn't work. This does not work. I need to do something. And it's funny because I, I, I don't know where or how. I make up some weird ideas sometimes, some weird theories. And I remember when I was studying uh, spirituality about 20 years ago, I had this realization that for me, I was like, so like, this is so weird, Lisa. I can't believe I'm sharing this. So, <laughs> That's okay. I have some weird ideas. Too. Oh, good, good, good. Um, so my, my vision was that, you know, the angels or the spirits or whatever you want to call them that are, you know, up above in the spirit realm supporting us. Well, there's not a lot to do. They're kind of bored. And so they we're their entertainment, right? So they're watching us go through life and they're like, hey, this is pretty entertaining. And they actually have kind of a gambling issue. And what they do is they bet on if we're going to wake up from the next stumble in our life or if we're going to keep cruising. Uh huh. And I call it the big rock theory. So what they do is they start by going, oh, there's Lisa. And they ping a little bitty pebble off you. Mm -hmm. And they've all bet, is she going to wake up from the pebble or not? And of course, whatever happens, they, they settle up. And then the next round, it's the next bigger pebble. And then it gets to being a good sized stone. And pretty soon it's a boulder. And... Some people literally need to be knocked to the ground by a boulder <laughs> before they ever wake up. And other, but the thing that happens, and this is what you were referencing, the instant, it doesn't matter what size the stone is that, that wakes you up, the instant you wake up, you look around and you see all the other stones that bounced off you. Mm -hmm. And you go, oh my gosh, I had this message a hundred times. Mm -hmm. And that's what's going yeah. on in our world is they keep giving us chances and they start by whispering and eventually they have to scream in our ear. Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of when we're going to wake up to that that guidance that comes around. So great example and, and how clear it is, right? In that moment, you're like, no, this doesn't work and I've got to, I'm done. Yeah. I'm on a plane, I'm gone. Yeah. This isn't negotiable anymore. I was negotiating my way back into this before, but the reality is it doesn't work. It didn't work. I need to move on. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I knew that, like I saw the we had gone nowhere. Like we'd moved from Santa Barbara to LA to Milan, but we'd really like gone nowhere in our psyches. Like in, we had, in our growth and development, we were really in the same place as when we started, which was horrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. And, and congratulations on <laughs> taking that step. I'm getting hit by the boulder. <laughs> <laughs> hey, who cares? At least you woke up. Well, that's true. <laughs> yeah, that's the way I look at it. It might have been like, it could have been more graceful, but you could also I, still be there. I could cover a whole rock garden. Oh, I think we all could. <laughs> well, that's true. I think we all could. Well, let me ask you this, Lisa, because I, I we've been talking about some, you know, historically what's happened for you. I'm curious, what's what's a partnership that's going on right now in your life? could be any area of your life that you're really excited about my husband <laughs> nice 
I, I just, I, I adore him. I don't know what to say. I mean, he's just, yeah, he's a, he's a truly, truly, truly extraordinary human being. And I think I wake up every day just feeling like, I don't know how I got so lucky to be with, you know, to be able to spend the rest of my, or the rest, you know, as long as we have together, but, you know, to spend my life with him. You know, that's, I'm so glad you, you shared that because I, I don't know you well, obviously, we just met, but based on our earlier conversation, I was thinking it might be her husband. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and what's great about I, I was just aware that you were almost embarrassed, right? It's like, well, I'm going to say my husband, like, he's amazing. I really love him. And we almost like culturally, it's almost like embarrassing that, yeah, I'm really like, I love this person. Mm-hmm. It's so weird that we've developed that. That kind of, you know, I don't know what you want to call it, stigma, if you will, that like, wow, if you're really, really into that person, and you're like so in love. It's embarrassing. Why would it be embarrassing? That's the most amazing thing ever. Yeah, it's, you know, I don't know. It's, um, I think it's just very personal. Yes. You know, it's deeply personal. And um, I know so many people, you know, probably you do as well, but based, you know, because I'm in this field, I know so many people who have amazing relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, I really do. And I couldn't, there was a time where I couldn't think of a, a person who, you know, one good relationship. And now I can think of so many people I know who are really in passionate, loving relationships. Um, you know, and I think everybody should feel the way I do about Benjamin. But um, he really, really, really is an incredible person. So um, he he had written a book when we met on our, you know, we on our first date. I asked him what I thought in the moment might have been the dumbest question in the history of dating. <laughs> he got such a look on his face when I asked it, and I he, it was almost like he was start starting starting to like come unglued or disconnected or something. I don't know. It was really funny this this look. But I asked him if he had a spiritual path. And I thought, oh, my God, this is L.A. You know, that must be just like the most cliche thing. Every girl or every woman must ask the mm-hmm. question here, you know, because of the way he reacted. He later said, no, I was really trying to think if I have a spiritual path. <laughs> he wow. said, I was really trying to think. And the reason it's such a, 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 conundrum, you know, a paradox is that, Benjamin is literally the most, um, he literally is the most present person I've ever met in my life. I'm not saying there aren't many present people, but he truly is like the, the epitome of being present, you know, and you just feel it the minute you meet him. And he feels like he's been meditating for like the last three years. <laughs> he's just like, like he's come out of a deep three year meditation. Wow. He has an an incredible energy about around you know around him, and so you know. But he said to me, he said, you know, he said, no, you know, I don't think I have a spiritual path. But he said, I my best friend and I, who was Richard Carlson. Richard Carlson wrote "Don't Sweat the Small Stuff," mm-hmm. and Benjamin and Richard wrote four books together. And um, one of the books, he started naming the books, and I almost fell off my chair because I had literally just read one of his books. <laughs> it was called Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. I mean, don't, not Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. It was called Handbook for the Heart. 
And it was a book that we read when I was getting my master's degree. And so for, for the course, it was a required mm. book for the course that I was taking, you know, and he's just, uh, you know, he went in the, in these, in the series of books, they went and they picked four spiritual subjects and then they interviewed all the preeminent people at the time, like Marianne Williamson, Deepak Chopra, mm-hmm. um, Mother Teresa, you know, the Dalai Lama. Like they went and interviewed all of these different people on the subject of love, healing, the soul, and um, one other. There, there were four of them. But they, they, you know, so it was really amazing. So he's a really, he's a body worker. He does mm-hmm. body work. And I just love him. He's an amazing human being. So that's fantastic. Congratulations. Thanks. Yeah. Well, Lisa, we've actually got to a part of the show I call Bring It All Home. And this is where we're going to step away from stories. And I'm just going to ask you for some simple, concrete guidance that our listeners can take and apply in their partnerships right now. Mm -hmm. So what I'd like to start with is I'm wondering, what would you say is the best partnership or relationship advice that you have ever received? Um, I have so much, like I, you know, I, I really so, so much, but I think one that comes to mind for me, Ken, when I was thinking about this was mm-hmm. that, you know, I did a lot of work with Don Miguel Ruiz. I was, um, in a group with him for a long, long time. And one thing that Miguel said that really has affected me and changed my life was that he said, you should never have to justify or explain yourself to a soul. He said, people will either get you or they won't. And for me, like you had said earlier, I had spent so much of my life just trying to justify or explain myself to people. And I, you know, permission to not do that was one of the most freeing things in the world. And, you know, I, I want to share one thing with you that I was in a, I was in a relationship right before I met Benjamin. You know, sometimes I, I have this whole thing, you know, I think people talk about sometimes you meet the wrong one right before you meet the right one. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like it's a test of some kind. And I met this man who had actually been involved with Don Miguel and he turned it out to be just completely like commitment phobic to the core. And I caught on very quickly that there was something wrong with, you know, there. And at one point I just, you know, I was, I was at his house and it wasn't working and I waited for him to go to sleep. And then I left in the middle of the night, I realized it just wasn't going to work. And the next morning he called me and started doing this character assassination of me, which is something that commitment phobic people do. It's a very classic commitment phobic thing where they turn everything around and they make it like you're the problem. Mm-hmm. And so for the first, you know, I heard Don, this, this thing that Don Miguel had said that you should never have to justify or explain yourself to anyone. And so for the first time in my life, I listened to him just hurling all these criticisms at me, you know, you're this and you're that and like just shredding me. And as I listened to him, instead of just like wanting, like normally I would have said, how can you say that? And I can't believe that. And well, you did this too. And I sat there listening to him. And when it was all over, I said to him, I I, I didn't know what else to say. And I just said, wow you really don't like me. <laughs> <laughs> and he said to me, you're not going to believe this, Ken. He said, 
well, are you going to do something about this? Wow. And I said, yeah, I'm going to hang up the phone. I said, I don't want to be in a relationship with someone who doesn't like me. Good for you. And so that piece of advice from Miguel was just life-changing. It really was. Just like, if you don't get me and you don't like me, then don't hang around me. Mm -hmm. No, that's that's so huge, so powerful. Thank you. That's a wonderful, wonderful gold nugget. Well, Lisa, let me ask you this then. What, what would you recommend for our listeners as a, a book or a resource and why that particular one? So, I mean, obviously, I love all of Miguel's books. You know, specifically, I love The Mastery of Love is brilliant. But the one relationship book that I come back to over and over and over again that, I'm ha that I literally have every one of my clients read is a book called Attached. And I don't know if you're familiar with yep, it. I've read it. Yeah, but every person that reads it, I literally have to say that a hundred out of a hundred of my clients who've read it have really said that it, you know, it it was it was life changing for them. Yeah. So that's the book that I that I give all my clients right now, among others, but specifically that one. No, and I I agree. That's a great resource, <laughs> and it it sheds light on so much for so many people. Because mm -hmm. I have my clients read it too, and they'll be like, "Okay, so I'm of this." I'm like, mm -hmm. and you can just hear the liberation, yeah, by them going, "Oh, I get it now," and that mm -hmm. makes sense. These are my behaviors, and that's why I do this, and that's why I track this, and oh, I get it, and it, yeah. it puts so much power back in their hands, which is so wonderful. And it does it without judging them and making yeah. them wrong. I mean, yeah. that's the other thing. It's like this is how it is. This is what's going on. But you read it, and it's like. They don't sit there and say, this is right, this is wrong, this is good, this is bad. They just say there, you know, and for anyone who's listening, there are three, you know, they break it down to three attachment styles, anxious, avoidant, and secure. And they spell them out, but they don't say avoidant, bad, you know, no. secure, good. They just say this is how it is and this is why it happens. Exactly. Yeah, no, they do a wonderful job of presenting that information. And, and also, I think they do a great job in that book of, of um, shedding light on like one of the parts that really stood out for me is where people are like, well, if there's more secure people in the world, how come I meet all these avoidant or anxious people? It's like because the secure people are in relationships. Yeah. So they're not on the market. It's natural that you're going to meet the other ones because they're still out there trying to figure this out. Right. And all of a sudden people are like, that makes total sense. I thought everybody was a mess. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, it's just you have a different path to getting to where you want to go. The secure person is going to get in a relationship and probably stay there. Yeah. But I also don't really necessarily agree with the break, the breakdown personally. Well, and it's like any of those stats, right? How do you know? Yeah. <laughs> How does anybody really get that number? I'm not sure that, you know, the 50% the, the that they say are in relationships are... You know, they may be in relationship. I don't know. But I don't know that 50% of the population is secure. But that's just me. <laughs> yeah. And again, who's to say, right? We can't. Nobody can ever really do that total study <laughs> that we need true. to get the real number. It is so true. We still have to look at what's the world that we're in. Who are we interacting with? And when you have this knowledge, you're in a better position. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Thanks absolutely. Well, Lisa, I think it's pretty clear. You are a tremendous treasure trove of of guidance and information and, and support for people. How can our listeners contact you and learn more about what you do? 
So you can go to Lisa at lisashield.com. That's my website. Um, you can also join my Facebook group. I have a dating group on Facebook and it's called um, Dating Without Drama. You have to apply. It's a, it's a private group, so you have to apply, but there's um, a, tr- a lot of people in there and you, you know, the group is so amazing that there are actually subsets of the group that are breaking off and like getting together in their hometowns. One group in Minnesota just had a get together and, you know, it's communities within a community and everybody is so supportive. Um, so that's a great thing to do. And I do private one-on-one coaching. I also have a phenomenal coaching program that I offer. So please just drop me an email or set up a, you know, a consult and we can talk about all those options if you think you might want to coach with me. Awesome. That's fantastic. And, and everybody listening, if you're busy doing something other than just listening, <laughs> I'm going to put all that information, all those links on the show page. So you can get back home when this airs and look up Lisa and you'll see all the links there. So it's really easy for you to get a hold of her. Well, Lisa, everything you share, you've been so generous, so, so open and your stories have been just incredible. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Uh, thanks, Ken. It was an honor. And thank you to everybody who listened. Thank you for listening to Speaking of Partnership. Head over to speakingofpartnership.com for links and recaps of every show and so much more. Be sure you catch the bonus stories from our guests on Follow Your Yes Friday. It's easy to do. Just go to your favorite podcast directory, search for Speaking of Partnership, and click subscribe. Like what you hear? Leave us a rating and review on Stitcher or iTunes. The greatest compliment you can give the show is to refer us to someone else either in person or on the web. Have a great day. And remember, even when you stumble, you're still moving forward. Peace.